0: Welcome to Intangibles Podcast. I'm Steve Berg, your host. Success is driven by how as much as by what. How we communicate, how we lead, how we relate to our environment are all vitally important. Intangibles is a podcast that explores the underlying traits, qualities, and behaviors that improve the how. This is accomplished by finding the people who have studied and been successful practicing these soft skills and having informed conversations with them to get to what is learnable. Let's begin. If you search for tenderness, it isn't hard to find. You can have the love you need to live. But if you look for truthfulness, you might just as well be blind. It always seems to be so hard to give. Honesty is such a lonely word. Everyone is so untrue. Honesty is hardly ever heard and mostly what I need from you. That, of course, is Billy Joel. His point, I believe, is universally understood. Honesty is hard, and most people don't do as good a job of it as they should. It is a subject that people shy away from because it takes real commitment. Today, I want to take a closer look at honesty because it has a real payoff. Joining me in conversation is Ron Carucci. Ron is the best-selling author of nine books, including To Be Honest, which we'll be referencing today, Ron is the co-founder and managing partner of Nivalent, a consultancy that works with CEOs and executives pursuing transformational change in their organization. Ron is a regular contributor to the Harvard Business Review and Forbes. His work has been featured in Fortune, CEO Magazine, Inc., Business Insider, MSNBC, Business Week, and Smart Business. He's a two-time TEDx speaker. Welcome, Ron. Great to talk to you. Steve, thanks so much for having me. It's great to be with you. So why don't we start by having you fill in any blanks about your background that I may have neglected?
1: Gosh, you're pretty thorough in there, Steve. Um, <laughs> uh, I, you know, I'm uh, a father of two grown ch- children who are also dear friends of mine and I'm married to a wonderful wife and we live in, you know, uh, just moved back from the West Coast to the East Coast, which actually should require a passport. The cultures are so different. Um, when I'm not working with clients, at my firm Navalent, or when I'm not riding, um, I'm on a bike, biking, or I'm playing tennis, or I'm uh, hopefully trying to just chill out and relax. But that's not always my easiest game.
0: You don't seem like a chill out, and relax type of guy. Anybody who's written nine books doesn't chill out and relax. Right?
1: It's a, yeah, it's either my my hidden um, my hidden sadomasochism or my you know glutton for punishment. I don't know what it is.
0: <laughs> All right, let's let's dive into this thing. Um, all right. Let's start out by defining honesty, at least in your view, and we're gonna we're to talk about the components that make up honesty, if that's okay with you.
1: So, you know, just as a little bit of background, the book came as a result of a a 15 year longitudinal study with more than 3,200 leaders um, that I interviewed, uh, and we used uh, some really cool sophisticated AI technology to examine the data and quantify. Um, the, my goal was to see, could we predict under what conditions people would tell the truth and behave fairly, and under what conditions would they lie and be self-interested? And if we could predict those conditions, then could we, you know, pre- shape them in organizations or could we avoid the ones that cause us to go to the dark side? And so what we found, uh, both in the, the data we examined in our own research and also neuroscientifically in our brains. Truth telling is closely associated with justice or behaving fairly and treating up as well, and purpose, working with a sense of meaning. So, honesty in the book is defined as truth, justice, and purpose. It's no longer enough to just not lie. To be labeled as honest, you have to say the right thing, do the right thing, and say and do the right thing for the right meaning. Truth, justice, and purpose. So, when we talk about honesty in the book, we're talking about all three.
0: So, purpose. Purpose is what you stand for, right?
1: It's what you live for. It's what you strive for. It's what you want your life to embody. It's the impact and fingerprint you want to leave on the world. It's what should get you out of bed in the morning, excited to be out of bed.
0: The reason I ask is it's it seems like it's not all that easy, actually, unless you spend a little time thinking about it to know what one's higher purpose is, what one stands for. And, and it's, it's a big question. How would you recommend that we determine or decide kind of what are their purpose? They literally
1: just shot this video four minutes ago, so I've got a great answer. Um, you know, so for, it's a lifelong pursuit, right? You know, the the old adage—it's often misattributed to Mark Twain—says the two most important days in our life are the day we're born and the day we find out why. Um, uh, he actually didn't say it, but it's still a good adage. The reality is, we spend our whole life looking for that why. It's never—it's a—it's a, it's a journey. It's not a destination. Um, but you can get some great clues. If you think about, um, you know, if I, if I asked you to think over the last year of your life, about four or five of your record-setting moments, the moments where you're at your most joyful, the moments where you're at your best, the moment where you felt like that's the moment I want, to like, it's like oxygen for me. Um, where are the places where you knew you made a difference, where you couldn't get enough of what you'd done? Um, and who you you serving? Because it clearly what, would probably not have been your own interests. would have been others. If you can look back and see the patterns of those clues, uh, that will give you a sense for what what makes your heartbeat faster, what brings you to life. That will give you a sense for what purpose you were born to live. The question is, how much does your structures of your life, your career, your job, your family, allow you to have as many of those moments as possible? You may have in fact constructed a life that actually discourages those moments from happening, and then you're going to live in a lot of tension and stress.
0: Yeah. I mean, as you're answering that question, I was thinking to myself, you know, sometimes those things happen to you and you're grateful, but that's not necessarily the things that you would pursue to ultimately make you happy. So it's, you know, it's hard. Um, So when I read the the book, there was something that resonated with me, uh, tangential to this. Um, Can you... Give us color on the West Point Honesty Checklist. So I got the, the incredible privilege of, uh, so to be
1: honest, it's a book of heroes. I didn't want to write the villain stories. I didn't want to write about Theranos and most Fargo. I wanted to write about the people we'd love to emulate, the people we'd love to follow. And so I got the incredible privilege of curating the stories and the wisdom of dozens of heroes. Um, one of them was Bernard Banks. He's a Brigadier General, and he ran the Leadership Development Program at West Point before becoming a professor at Northwest University. And the honor code at every cadet is taught, you will not lie, cheat or steal, or tolerate those who do. It's blanketed. And what I was talking to Bernie about was, can honesty be taught? Can it be learned? And he said, you have to teach it. People don't come predisposed naturally to do it. And there are, there are three sub-questions every cadet has to ask themselves below that tenet of, I will not lie, cheat or steal or tolerate those who do. One is, um, does this action attempt to deceive anyone or allow anyone to be deceived? Does this action allow a gain or advance to which this person is not entitled? Would I be satisfied by this action if I were on the receiving end of it? And if you can get past, the one that I always love to ask is, would you tell your mother? Mm-hmm. You know, because if you if you struggle, if you hesitate for even a minute in the answer to those questions, that's your barometer telling you, watch out here. Um, yeah. And I, I think we all have, the great news we found out in the brain science Steve, is that we are our, our, our natural predisposition is for honesty. Our brains are wired to thrive in honesty. But what we also know about our brains is that if you put us in into conditions where the environment around us does not support that, we will succumb. And unfortunately, unlike our electronic devices that have a restore factory settings button on them, our brains don't. And so we have slippery slopes. We don't have slippery ascents.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, I looked at that and I just went, oh, that's the golden rule with granularity. You know, it's like I I I appreciate that granularity, right? Because you, you you can get to there, there's a you know yes, honesty is is black and white, but there's um, you know, in that opening quote, there's degrees of sincerity, right? Um, and and that allows you to really kind of get to the degree of sincerity that makes it
1: yeah. I'm often I'm often baffled when people I, I get so people now presume that I'm I've ported myself a self-proclaimed expert in honesty. I'm not. I'm certainly not a model of it either, but I'm often I'm often puzzled when people ask me things like, "Well, what about you know um, giving somebody really blunt feedback that could, that could hurt their feelings?" Or you know when you get asked that, "Is this just making them look fat?" Question, or the you know the question that says, "Isn't it better to withhold some information if it's going to break somebody's heart?" And are those examples of honesty or dishonesty? Well, I, th- those are uh, distinctions without differences. The reality is, honesty is should never be cruel. Uh, you know, Sometimes the truth does hurt. Um, it doesn't have to be mean. Right? You yeah. can still, if the truth has to pinch, it means you you probably avoided it for a long time. But it can also be told with compassion and empathy and care.
0: I'll tease some of those things out of you, I think, in a little while. And those have struck me, too. I, I don't, you don't get me wrong. I, I wanted to ask you those types of and, questions and you should. as well. But I think it's always nuanced. Mm. Yeah, I, I think that's right. I think that's I think that's right. So, you know, what other questions should we ask ourselves? Back to the sincerity thing to gauge our sincerity of our own honesty, right? How do you know that you're kind of beyond reproach when it comes to that? Well, I
1: think the first question you have to ask yourself is: uh, Are my actions and words matching? You know, you yeah. we all we all proclaim whether we do it verbally or not a set of values, right? Um, you may say you value compassion, but if the first question that you ask after your car's been hit is how much did, how much damage was there, you, your actions and words didn't match. And so you have to ask yourself, how have others decoded my values? What, what have I shown to others that are the principles I live by? And are they, are they ones that I actually intend to proclaim? And if they are... Are my actions aligned to those? Act- those. If I if, if if my child were to follow me or, or if somebody would have followed me around with a video camera all day long in a normal course of my day, would I be proud to show that video to my children to train them? So, so are you who you say you are? Um, how transparent are you with information? How much do you couch? How much do you position? How much do you withhold? How much do you spin? How straightforward are you? Um, how much do you self-silence in the name of political safety? Um, you know How you show up to other people in everyday situations uh, and how are you calculating power differentials? How are you calculating wins and losses? Um, and if your sense of honesty, truth, justice, purpose fluctuates greatly, uh, you should be worried because that's telling you that uh, you're at risk of compromise.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, look, honesty requires consistency, right? You can't be honest part of the time and not honest part of the time and still say you're honest. You're not. Right.
1: Interestingly enough, University of Massachusetts data would suggest, and plenty of studies correlate this, corroborate this, um, that we all lie on average twice a day, at least. So my question isn't, do you lie? That's a silly question. My question to people is, why do you lie? What brings you to your dishonesty? If I if I were to ask you to examine the last 15 choices you made that were less than honest, meaning you, you mistreated somebody poorly or disrespectfully, you were unwelcoming, you embellished information or accomplishments, you spun something, whatever it was, I'm guaranteeing you that if you were to examine closely and honestly those 15 most recent choices, you will see a pattern. Your dishonesty is not yeah. your dishonesty is not random. There are certain conditions, certain people, certain things that bring you to your version of dishonesty. If you want to change it, you have to find out what those are.
0: I know you're going to discuss some generalities with me that you can then find specifics within those generalities. I, I want to do that. I want to do that also. I, I, yeah, there's just so much here. Yeah. So is honesty? You know, if it's if you know consistency is will. Is honesty a matter of will? Because it seems like it should be to me. Um, is it a capability? And I know it requires work every day, but isn't it as simple as just deciding to be honest and then being honest?
1: Oh, Steve, would that with that easy? <laughs> I think there are certainly a group of sociopaths who wake up every day intentionally deceitful. I think most of us are more self-deceived while thinking that we're being honest. I don't think even people; most people set out to intentionally be dishonest. Um, I just think in the moment of truth, when it arrives, the, the moment is too painful t- to face the truth. Um, so it is it is a capability that needs to be, pr- it's a muscle. It's like going to the gym. You have to work at it and practice. It's, you know, you're not going to go to the gym for the first time in five years and bench by 300 pounds, right? Right. And so waiting for the moment to tell a hard truth um, as your first act of honesty, you know, if you've accumulated a bunch of little dishonest, you know, what you thought were inconsequential moments, probably not preparing you well for that moment.
0: Yeah, so I was um, paying attention again. That West Point thing really struck a chord with me. And he he talks about time under code, and what he means is the more time a person spends being honorable, the more likely it is that their behavior can be sustained. So you kind of got to hit, you got to get like up the curve. And once you're up the curve, then you're you're you know you've got a reasonable time under code. Uh, Your con- the the consistency becomes more natural. Yep.
1: Now, he also asterisks it and says, and and the the social research bears this out, if you leave that environment where everybody's under the code and go someplace where that is, the norms contradict that, if you stay too long, eventually you will succumb, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, You'll
1: justify it with, you know, and I think the road, the entrance to every slippery slope has the words paved on it. Well, at least I'm not as badass.
0: Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. Relative expectations uh, killed the cat. Um, so I was talking, it was quite some time ago actually now, um, to Angela Duckworth. And she told me about her running. She's like, you know, I was running every day. I wasn't getting any better. So I went and I talked to an expert and he said, all right, great. You know, uh, What's your plan? What are you measuring? What's your goal? And she went, Oh, and then she realized in that moment why she wasn't getting any better, right? So I'm kind of like with that in mind. What should be the goal, and what should we try to measure when we make a commitment to being honest?
1: The first thing I would measure, and it's it's intangible, it's somewhat intangible, but is you know moments of joy, moments of self self satisfaction, moments of peace, moments of impact. Um, you know, d- will. Um, if, if you could listen to them, people are telling stories about their experience of you as their colleague or leader at home at night. My goal would be to make sure that I tell as many stories as possible about your integrity, about the example you set. And if you don't know the stories they're telling, then you should be worried.
0: Yeah. I mean, the big picture is to live a, um, You know, the for, for the big goal, I guess, is to live a, a life worth emulating, right? Or worth talking about.
1: Well, and if, I mean, I put my asterisk there to even say, yes, but you should still be honest if nobody's watching, right? Even if people couldn't see you um, for the sake of your own soul, for the sake of your own well-being, um, don't live below your design constraints, right? You're designed for honesty. Live up to that constraint.
0: Right, right, right. Okay. So you touched you told me about the Venn diagram of honesty, which are purpose, justice, and truth, right? And they all intersect. Um, what are the specific initial steps that an individual, you know, I've been really focusing this on the individual. I know you've done work on both the individual and the organization. Um, but if I'm looking at an individual, what is the individual, because I'm assuming that, you know, it's not organizations per se listening, um, what do they need to do in order to kind of establish the basis for being honest?
1: Well, I think certainly the ultimate outcome is trustworthiness, right? It's that ultimately people will, will come to rely on you and see you at your your use your word consistent and predictable. I think, um, you know, the question to ask yourself about justice is uh, how am I treating people who are different than me? How welcoming am I to points of view that I don't agree with? How, how do I show up around? How inhospitable am I? to people that I find to be annoying. Because your measure of justice isn't just how you treat people who are like you. Your measure of justice is treating people even who don't think or or believe the way you do. How often do you actually pursue learning about the differences of others um, and being respectful and hospitable, even if you don't change your mind? Um, how, How often do you other somebody versus welcome them? Right. Um, and if those camps are pretty clear, that's telling you that your justice barometer is, is way too flexible.
0: I was talking to someone today and she totally caught me off guard. Um, she said, Oh, I know this person, he's my work accountability partner. And I was like, A work accountability partner? That's pretty amazing. And she, you know, went on to describe that it's not like, hey, look, I said I would do this and I, you know, it's not that. It's not that much of a a, a, a forthright thing. But there was an but the accountability part was the thing. Right. And I I kind of think about that as well. Right. I mean, there's within our little firm, the, um, you know, what we think there's one person that has a very strong moral compass, not that we're not moral ourselves, but it's clear, but we, you know, we talk. And I think that In talking about, you know, how does that feel to you? Does that seem right? That that accountability seems like a significant thing as well. And
1: and again, caveat with it has to be, it has to include justice and and dignity. Too often, our accountability processes are demeaning and demoralizing, and they're and they're shame based and they're scorekeeping based, and they're um, they're not dignifying. So I think accountability has to be dignifying. It has to be. The yardsticks that we hold up to others and also the yardsticks we hold up to ourselves have to have a measure of truthfulness to them so we can't, you know,
0: right,
1: not to soften the blow when we fall short, but they also have to have a degree of dignity and compassion and empathy in them.
0: Yeah. And you were talking about say, do before, right? Like what you say and what you do. Yep. Um I recall reading that you want that you want that to, cl- to be as close to one to one or 100% as you possibly can get. I
1: think our you know I think we often confuse our say do ratio with our say think ratio. Meaning <laughs> meaning I want to credit for my good intentions. Um I you know I gave I gave feedback to a client that uh, I collected from interviews with his team and said you know your team finds you intimidating. And he got really defensive. He said, I, I work hard to appreciate them. I listen to their ideas. Um, I, I give them resources. What, how, what about me as intimidating? I said, well, apparently in some meetings where you lose your patience, you become sarcastic or you become a little bit curt um, or you sort of cut people off and they've gone on too long. He goes, well, we all have bad days, but it doesn't make me intimidating. I said, it's not yours to design.
0: Yeah,
1: uh, No one's saying you intended to be intimidating. That's the affect you have, whether you intend for it to be or not. So, you, if you want to be not perceived as intimidating, change those behaviors. It's okay for you to feel impatient. It's okay for you to not like somebody's work. It's not okay for you to, to encode that that um, discontent in those behaviors, if you want people to see you as trustworthy because
0: intimidation reduces trust. Right, 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 right. And I mean, that, to me, the, the, the point that you're making about um, whose eyes, right? You know, Through your own eyes, hey, I'm a perfectly normal person. I'm a perfectly honest person through the eyes of others is what really you know, ultimately matters. And we have to
1: accept that we don't control those um, those evaluations, but we do control the, um, the the leading indicators that lead to them. Um, we just have to recognize and, and begin to learn to sort of have a third eye and view how others experience us through their eye. Um, and and not conclude that well they're misinterpreting me. Well, don't be misinterpretable. And they won't they won't, mis- they won't misinterpret you.
0: Yes. So, yes. So self-awareness is part of it. Um, uh, but it's not all of it even. So I, I I think what you're saying, you know, that's a to me that's a really important point. So transparency we we were discussing that briefly. Just some quick just some quick things off the top of your head about kind of foundational behaviors for transparency. I think
1: self-disclosure is important. People, you don't want people guessing about what you believe or think. Even the littlest things, like talking about your family or talking about a personal struggle, or talking, making yourself human, making yourself accessible to people. Um, don't make people wonder, you know, what are you thinking or what, what does he really feel. Um, make sure people don't have to decode you and then do it wrong. Um, be, be open, be vulnerable, be be candid. Um, let people have a glimpse into how you think so that they can actually eventually decode it without having to ask. Um, give people a sense of your sixth, of a sixth sense of you. Um, that will put them at ease and that will actually raise your trustworthiness in their eye.
0: And by the way, if you are truly honest, you won't really have a big problem with that. If you're not truly honest, that might be difficult
1: for you. It, uh, it will certainly be difficult for you. But even honest people who are introverted or shy or socially anxious, May not yeah. realize the degree to which they come across as closed uh, or, or unapproachable or distant. Um, and so you can be honest and cold. Um, it, it's just not going to help people see you as trustworthy. And so you have to warm the room a bit, especially if there's a d- differential in power or a differential in rank. And so, you know, treat people as if they are guests in your home. You know, no matter what, no matter what you're doing. I tell people when you go on job interviews. Treat your interviewer as if they've just arrived for cocktails at your home, you know, and, and just, you know, when you've been to somebody's home and they're an incredibly gracious host and everybody in the room feels like they're the only person there and feel special, make people feel like that around you because they will feel like they belong. And when they feel like they belong, they will far more likely to trust you and, and trust your motives. If you're come across as cold and distant then they have to wonder why.
0: Right. Uh, by the way, that, that is not easy, or at least for some. So, all right, let's, so we've talked a little bit about honesty and you hinted at this. Let's talk a little bit about dishonesty. Um, what is it that uh, erodes or corrupts honesty?
1: Well, you know, I think it's, a, It's um, other than if, you know, if you're psychologically a damaged human being, for the most part, it's usually gradual. Uh, yeah. I, and I think, you know, being around conditions, um, if you feel wronged, right? So for many people, if you feel um, uh, slighted if you feel excluded, if you feel um, unfairly treated, if you feel like you didn't get an opportunity someone else got that you deserved. Any of those moments, and they happen every day in organizations. Uh, when people feel wrong, they feel entitled to take. Right. So once they once they feel like you uh, you owe me, I'm going to get my pound of flesh. They're yeah. they're on the slippery slope. Um, they don't justified it. But the reality is the minute they're going to make you pay for their pain that you may have caused them, um, we're, we're now slipping toward um, a dark place.
0: What about the everybody's doing it?
1: Yep. Common common reasoning. I mean, that's Wells Fargo, right? 5,000 people didn't wake up at Wells Fargo all on the same day and say, hey, here's an idea. you know. But all of a sudden, everybody's getting their sales numbers met or exceeded. Because they're opening up these fake accounts. And I'm like, well, nobody's saying anything. So I guess it's okay to do it. There was no training manual, but said, here's how you open up a fake account. It just became practice because it became widespread and nobody um, stopped it.
0: Yeah. And, and, and by the way, there's probably very few. I mean, there, there will be ultimately some holdouts that are just like, look, I, I can't do that. Um, but most people won't. Most people will, you know, the dishonesty will wear down their earnestness. And, and the unfortunate thing is, especially if there's coercion,
1: if there's peer pressure to conform. But the reality is most people don't, if they would just listen to their gut, there's, a, there's always a barometer. There's always a little you know, alarm system that goes off that says, don't do this, really don't do this. Um, and if people would just trust and listen to that moment and not fear the isolation or the estrangement or the rejection they presume will be there, if they do so, um, they will be so much more true to themselves, but you can't be true to yourself if you're not going to be true about yourself. And and that moment becomes the first step. And then once you've moved the line, you know, Dan Ariely calls it the what the hell effect, right? It's the, well, I've done this so far. I'm, what the hell? I might as well keep going.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. There's a little water in the tub. Might as well put a little more in. What, what's the wrong now?
1: Or you tell yourself, this is, no one's getting hurt from this. Who, who, I mean, this is a face. Uh, this is a faceless crime. It's not anybody being hurt by this, what's the, what's
0: the harm? Yeah, um, so you're, again, we're talking about deception and lies, and I know that there's generally reasons that people lie, and there's specifically pe- reasons that people lie, let's, should we work our way up or work our way down? Uh, you pick. All right, so let's talk about generally what's the emotions uh, that cause people to lie.
1: Usually the first the first one is fear right it's 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 the, there's a it's almost always a self-protective choice right and so i'm'm I'm, I'm avoiding i'm fearful of, a, of some consequence of a loss of face or a loss of relationship or a loss of status or a judgment right so there's some avoidant consequence that i fear that i believe um although you're almost always wrong but you believe that this twist of the truth or this subtle embellishment of data or this omission of an important fact will somehow get me that outcome and protect me. Yeah. You know, what most people don't ever go back and do is their post-mortem on that, did it actually work? Yeah. I, you know, it's so funny, Steve, whenever I speak to audiences, I always ask them, how many of you feel like you have phenomenal BS barometers? Like you just know the minute someone is blown something at you, oh, three quarters of the rooms, hands go up, right? But then I ask, so how come you don't think everybody else's BS parameters are working as well when you're doing it? Because when we're blowing the smoke, we're, we're so convinced, others are convinced. And maybe not maybe they're nodding their heads. And sometimes some people may in fact believe you, but over time, uh, you're unlikely to sustain that confidence because at some point, someone's gonna go, wait a minute here, something's a little fishy here. Yeah. So whatever, you know, you know, like I said before, what I, what I want people to do is ask themselves, what brings you to your dishonesty? What brings you to the moment where you've decided, this is the only choice I have? And what need do you believe you're serving? What outcome do you believe you're achieving by doing so? And ask yourself, honestly, is that really what's happening?
0: Right, right. So fear is one. Um, I would assume that pride is one.
1: Pride, I, you know, I don't want to lose face. Um, obligation, guilt, Um, you know, there's always some deterrent. It's it's always typically boils down to avoidance, right? I'm trying to sidestep a consequence I don't want to experience. Um, Shame, shame's a huge one.
0: Probably, hey, this person uh, lied to me. I'm lying to them reciprocity.
1: Yeah, or vengeance, right? It's, uh, I mean, I can't trust you, so I can't trust you with the truth, right? Versus saying you know, hey, I'm having a hard time grappling with what you told me yesterday. Can we go over it again? Just call in the question.
0: I mean, I think the reason why it's so good to go over the general ideas is because you can see what motivations in people might be. And you could see how in that you could fall into a trap. And if you're aware enough to say, oh my gosh, you know, this, this pride or this, this, uh, guilt or this fear is the thing that's driving this. I need to step back, right? Then you 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 can find little triggers or little switches to to stop you from from doing something that you. The,
1: the key, Steve, is in is to be reflective. Is to go back. Like I said, it's a great exercise. I've, I've had groups do this. Go back and and privately. So it's, I'm not going to put this on the internet anywhere. But privately, examine. Think about the last three or four days, in uh, moments where you were not honest. You know whether it was how you treated somebody, or, or information you did or didn't share, or some value you compromised, um, and look for the pattern. You know, was it always around your boss? Was it always around your spouse? Was it always around some some moment of consequence where you felt like you would lose something? Um, where it was, you know, where where your will or your um, your desired outcome was being contested.
0: Right. So yeah. So I think you're you're kind of you're you're dragging us or pulling us uh, purposely towards some of the specific reasons, right? You know, you, Hey, I lied because I, I thought you might be disappointed. Okay.
1: And you know, if disappointing people or losing esteem in their eye or not pleasing people is a real driver for you, then you have to go back and examine that need, examine how you learned that pleasing people at all costs was good. Because the, until you're honest about where you learned that narrative, you can't rescript the narrative to something else. Like pleasing people with boundaries is, is better.
0: Yeah. 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 Like, so uh, I'm going to give an example, like, Hey, I lied to protect you from harm. Mm, not good. Still not good. Right.
1: Well, what harm did you think? I mean, what harm did you tell yourself was going to become me? I my, that my feelings were going to be hurt. Um, that, um, people would know what I would, what they believe really, that I would know people really thought of me. Yeah. That I would feel sad. Um, now, you know, if, a, if you're a parent and you, They to pick up your child from school and you see a bunch of kids making fun of your child, but your child doesn't see it. Mm -hmm. Do you say to your kid, Hey, what were those kids making fun of you? You mean like, like, or, you know, does, does disclosing that to your child really in the interest of honesty? Right.
0: I guess the question is who, who's really getting hurt. Who's really getting hurt
1: (laughs) and whose interest are you serving? Right. I think that some people withhold it to protect themselves, or some people share it to feel bravira, right? I, you know, I'm going to crush you, kind of thing. I, I don't think withholding information from somebody in the service of not crushing their spirit is dishonesty.
0: No, you don't. Okay, um, that's big. Yeah, yeah, one could argue if I'm, if argue I'm that.
1: preventing you from growing, if I'm preventing you from evolving, if I'm preventing you from maturing, then it's cruel. Right, so I have to ask myself, what's the real reason I'm choosing not to tell you? And if 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 I really have examined it and no good can come from this information other than you feeling bad or sad or hurt, then there's nothing there's nothing for me to share.
0: Right. Right. At least one should be thoughtful enough to understand that. Right.
1: Okay. So, easy. So Very nuanced, not easy, but
0: yeah, no, no, not not easy. Um, but there's a lot here if you're, I mean, at least, yeah. I was paying attention and this is all still incredibly helpful. Um, So, all right, once, once you've been proven untrustworthy, um, it it essentially it's supposed to uh, harm your ability to be influential, right? You should be undermined, right? People can no longer believe it. Intellectually that seems accurate to me. However, um, I, you know, certainly in today's environment, I've seen politicians, I've seen executives, I've seen media people be untrustworthy, be untrustworthy consistently without really the commensurate penalty of their credibility. Um, c- can you tell me what is happening? Because it makes it seem as though the cost of dishonesty is diminishing over time.
1: So it's a, it's a, let's unpack it. So here's first of all, let's let's talk about the political arena, right? Because I think that's a that's a very specific context. Um, we for some reason are, are mindlessly drawn to confident leaders, more so than we are to competence. A leader saying, I don't know, in many settings is more credible. But for some reason in the political arena, we don't want leaders who don't sound like they know. So pretending like you know something you don't is the norm in politics. If you actually ask people, Steve. How many of you trust your politicians? The scores would be very low, right? I think we've just come to accept such a low bar in terms of, well, of course they all like it. That's what politics means. And look at the job. All the job is really about campaigning for fun to get reelected. It's not actually any real work to do. They don't have time to do it because they're always campaigning. So my question is, why have we come to accept that as the norm? Um, so that context is very particular to a, a certain type of branded deceit um, that we've just all colluded together to, to assume that's as high as the bar gets. Now, taking out of that context um, and in organizations or in our community life, I actually think the consequences these days are much higher for lying. I think people are almost ruthlessly unforgiving if you've been caught, um, even if you apologize today. I think our experience of dishonesty has grown so strong um, that if, you know our, our experience of honesty has gone under free fall that our, our yardsticks have almost become too high. And so when somebody in our immediate circle that we actually know, a boss, a peer, a colleague, direct report, a neighbor, um, has been discovered to be untruthful, we're almost, it reflects the like there's no recovery from that anymore, which I think is also, you know, excessively mindless tolerance of politicians is not good, but completely ruthless, unforgiving nature of people in our life is also unhelpful. Right. Neither of those get us to a sound, coherent, you know, healthy, vibrant community. Because we're all going to fuck up. Pardon my French. Um, so the question is not, you know, oh my gosh, somebody was cruel to you, or oh my gosh, somebody lied to you. The question is, who will you be in that moment? And the harder question I would ask you is who would you want them to be when you're caught?
0: Yes, yes. So all right. So if I'm paraphrasing that answer, the the Diminishing cost of dishonesty is um, asymmetrical. Is. Uh, in some places, it seems like it is in fact going down. In other places, it is not going down, and it's still very, very high. So, <laughs> trudge forth at your own peril.
1: Oh, I think it's, I think in, in, in your immediate life, it's it's almost too high. Not that that's, that's an excuse, but we've got to step back and ask ourselves, how are we going to allow us? To, the more grace we show each other, the more likely we less likely we lie, right? But but we are also busy hiding. We're also busy putting on these personas and images of ourselves to keep up an illusion of a lack of humanity. Now, of course, at some point, our humanity is going to leak out.
0: Yeah. So 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 if you can learn to give a little quarter. Okay. So look, this is one that you were you know you you, you were good about setting the table for a lot of these questions, and one of these ones that you were, you were talking about before is um, silence right? Silence on an issue, not equaling honesty versus uh radical candor on an issue. Um, so let's, let's, let's dig into that a little bit more.
1: I think the question you have to ask yourself is who, who is your silence serving, right? Is it you, if, if it's fear, if it's fear of retaliation or retribution um, or of being mocked or being um dismissed or disregarded then your silence is not justified um the reality is the flip side is being a blunt instrument right or being you know uh you know um a a, a, a freight train with your truth I think today in our world we have we have sadly conflated speaking your truth with speaking the truth And so people today have, have learned that on the other extreme of silence is if I just adopt a posture of of an angry, loud middle finger uh, in my tone and in my voice, and I go on social media and rant, um, that's cool. That's allowed. That's not radical. That isn't even radical candor. It's it's, it's barely honesty. Um, And and we actually have interesting neuroscience data that shows how you're almost um, prone to more anxiety and stress by doing that, right? It's like, if somebody's poking you really hard in the chest and you go to them and say to them, hey, hey look, that really hurts. I would appreciate it if you stopped. You're more than going to get the outcome that you want. If you go in the streets and yell out in the, in the streets, people who poke suck. And everybody yells out the windows, yeah, yeah, pokers are idiots. Well, which is what we do on social media, right? You're going to keep getting poked. So you have to ask yourself, in whose interest is your bluntness? In whose interest is your truth? Um, because if it's only about blurting and declaring and being heard as an angry rant, nothing will change. It may make you feel good, cathartic, cathartic for the moment, but it, it's no more honest than your silence.
0: So there's a calibration involved, is what you're is what you're saying that that ultimately makes it honesty on on either side of that continuum. It's it's not necessarily honesty.
1: Absolutely. The question you have to ask yourself is what is it you want the outcome to be, and whose need are you serving?
0: Do you want to be right or do you want to have change? So what about being honest about a thing and also being wrong? So here's an example, right? Um, Someone believes very strongly that climate change isn't real, right? As a consequence, they act in an earnest way to protect the jobs of those they love that happen to work in the coal industry. What do you make of that?
1: If they really believe in their data, their research, their version of science tells them that, it's not dishonesty. It might be, it might be ignorance, but it's not dishonesty.
0: OK. So um, honesty does not depend on correctness. That's what you, I think that's what you're saying.
1: No, because, because if someone comes in this room and tells me, um, Steve Berg's building is on fire, and I believe it, and I call you and say, Steve, your building on fire, I'm not lying to you because I believe it to be true. If I knew it to be false, but I tell you anyway, that's lying. Yeah. You know, again, sometimes the distinction between lying and dishonesty is a distinction without a difference. Um, but the reality is it's what what did you know to be true at the time you did or said what you did? Now, uh, you know, I am polarizing issues like climate change or political issues or immigration, pick any of the big ones, right? I think it's a we all have a moral imperative to not be intellectually honest, to not be intellectually lazy. Right, so if your echo chamber has only reinforced the points of view you know, this so this goes to the justice portion of the, of the definition. If you've only surrounded yourself with people who think like you and you've not welcomed differing points of view. So if you're a, a climate change dissenter, you just don't believe it's true. Who have you gained, and not be the radicals, but who, who scientifically, credibly have you engaged to read the facts of the, the, the dueling facts? What have you done to educate yourself on the opposing point of view? Not to change your mind, but to show to show that you can respect and appreciate why they think that way. Because they think you're as out to lunch as you think they are. Right? right. That's never going to change anything. So I think we all owe it to our own convictions to check out and learn about the convictions of others that we don't agree with.
0: Right. So, so could I then go as far as to say, um, critical thinking is important to the honesty process, right? That that you can't necessarily go around calling yourself honest if you haven't engaged in in real critical thinking.
1: And, and what I, I would call, Steve, intellectual honesty.
0: Yeah, intellectual honesty.
1: And, and testing your own assumptions, validating your own convictions. Um, if you're someone who just rants or pounds a table, or is so rigid and so led to your own points of view, what you're signaling to others, so forget about the moral imperative here. Just know that what you've told other people is that you're not open to having your mind changed, which means at some point when you need to have your mind changed, someone's not gonna try. And if they see you headed off that cliff under the convictions of your own beliefs, why would you have told them, you've trained them up until that point to not try and stop you. So be very careful. The, I tell my, my executive clients all the time, the more certain you are of something, the more I'm going to test you. Mm. And, the, and the more certain you feel about something, the more you ought to ask for dueling fact-bases, fact the more you should ask for dissenting views, the more you should have people come in and say, tell me why I'm full of crap.
0: Right, 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 right. Yes, you, you, if belief is your justification, then you're not working hard enough.
1: <laughs> well, if, even, if, even if it's facts. Right. You know, I, I had one client that I, who's an amazing executive, CEO of a very big fortune, you know, 100 company, and he would intentionally ask for his senior team when they were going to be making a very complicated decision of, of, of consequence. He would ask for the doing fact basis to come in the room. Right. So because he know otherwise, if he didn't, they're going to debate themselves in the hallway. And so he would simply invite them into the room and say, OK, you, you give me your facts to give me your facts that refute his facts. And, we'll, we'll, and almost always the outcome was a much higher quality decision everybody could align around. There's no problem in the world, no problem in the world for which only two options exist to solve. So if, if any time, any debate you've gotten down to is two two pitted points of view, you've already lost. And and the most quality answer is you've already passed it. Because now it's no longer about solving a problem. It's about proving each other wrong.
0: Right. We we in our particular group again we we do often make sure that that is the case because you know if you you get to be a good arguer, right? Then it gets to be about hey I'm a good arguer I win arguments right not helpful not yeah not what is the best possible outcome here? Um, Okay, so I want to ask I'm going to get one more thing and then we'll we'll wind it down here Um, and that has to do with honesty. Um, being purely altruistic, right? Because can we be okay knowing that part of the reason that we seek to be honest is because there's value to be captured from being honest? Absolutely. Is that okay? I don't.
1: I don't think it's. I don't think
0: um, self-interest is in of itself bad.
1: Obsessive self-interest at the expense of others is a problem, and over time is going to erode your trustworthiness. Um, but caring about your agenda, Steve, doesn't mean I don't care about mine. Right. So I think sometimes we fool ourselves and think I'm more humble and I'm more gracious if I if I um, suppress my own interests or my own desires. That that's self-deceit. To not. I mean, I would much rather have you own your desires and put them on the table. This is what I want from this conversation. This is what I want from this relationship. I rather have you. I can say no. But if you're trying to protect me from your desires or protect me from your aspirations, first of all, then the relationship isn't honest. And second of all, you're not being honest.
0: Right. Well, but I mean, so there's that. So there's that. And that's certainly helpful. But I, but I guess what I'm saying is I think a lot of people would, if they really had to, you know, in a monk-like way, disassociate themselves from their feelings and say, look, the reason that I'm doing this is purely altruistic. Um, that would be nearly impossible as well. Nobody
1: would believe you. <laughs> I mean, nobody, who would believe you? So I, are there moments or things where we all we all choose to make a sacrifice and do something purely for the service of somebody else? Of course there are. There should be. But is that everything you do? No. That would nobody's going to believe that. And so, you know, when you're selling to somebody, when you're when you're trying to get somebody to sign a new contract or hire you as a your consulting firm. You know, people they know you want the business. Trying to deny that it's all about them. Now, there's an order of battle. So whenever I'm I'm selling new work, my theory is always um, help first sell later, right? But but is that purely altruistic? No, I want you to know what you're getting yourself into. So I'm gonna give you a taste of what it's gonna be like to work with me by helping you right now. Because if that's not how you take your help, we know we don't have a match. But if you feel at the end of our conversation after meeting me, oh, that was really helpful. I'm like, good, let's keep talking. Eventually I'm gonna put a paper in front of you that says here's a number. I'm going to suck a meter. But I'm doing that in the interest of helping you and getting a sale. And you know that. And so um, I think people who, are try, who try to feign the appearance of, of generosity or kindness, when there's more to the story than that, that's just dishonesty, it's deceit.
0: Okay. Okay, so look, that was the last prepared question. Let me give you a little op-ed time here. Um, Something about the topic that you'd like to discuss that I didn't really address?
1: You know, the, the thing I, I I want people to know, and I hope people will buy the book and read it and celebrate it um, and enjoy it and buy a copy for their boss for Christmas.
0: It's uh, called To Be Honest. To Be
1: Honest, Lead with the Power of Truth, Justice, and Purpose um, is, listen, you don't have to look around too far to see how bad we're doing in this field, right? When The world is starved for doing better, and we can all do better. Right, you can start tomorrow, and live a greater life of integrity. And you know, if you, the great news is, you know, if you're worried that this is somehow going to sacrifice performance or sacrifice something you want, the whole first chapter will give you all the data. Those companies, those individuals who are are more honest, far outperform, outlive, out enjoy, uh, out um, compete. Their dishonest counterparts. And any metric you want to find, we we search for them all. Health, wellness, profitability, customer loyalty, brand loyalty. We'll pick it. And the more honest, purpose-driven people, brands, products, companies did f- far better. So do you want to be the best version of yourself? Because the best version of yourself, the most gratifying version of
0: yourself is the most honest one. And so do it for that reason. Pretty great point. Um, all right, so someone who's listened to this now and says, oh man, I got to work with Ron, where do they go? Come
1: to visit us at our website, NAVALENT, navalen uh, You'll find all kinds of white papers and videos and um, cool ebooks uh, for your startup, for your entrepreneur, for your want to be a better leader. Um, if you want to learn more about the book and the research, we have a TV series called Moments of Truth you can come to ToBeHonest.net and you get to meet all the heroes backstage, right? So, Hubert Jolie and Rob Bellat um, uh, from Dark Waters and um, Tiffany Janna and Bernard, Bernard Banks. Uh, so, there's 15 episodes and you get to see the interviews I did that I when I interviewed them for the book. And so, and you get to also meet a bunch of other people because I have Khalil Smith from the Neural Leadership Institute and Jared Chappelle also do interviews. So you get a 30-minute episode of really rich conversations with some amazing people who will inspire you. So check that all out at tobehonest.net. Also, if you want to fill out the assessment, how honest is my team, and find out are you getting the real scope or not,
0: tobehonest.net slash assessment, you can download that assessment and find out tonight. All right. So I guess that means this is the end. Um, Thank you very much. Yeah. Look, this is a challenging topic. There's no doubt about it. I I think you do a really good job of kind of cutting through. I also think that you know this is a topic that you know. Hopefully, after listening to this, some people will do some soul searching. That's my hope, Steve.
1: And I'm grateful that you're covering the whole broader issue of trust in your podcast because we have to get better at it. We have to get better at trustworthiness. Um, I have a, actually, if you want to put a link in your show notes, I did a the HBR article on the book called "Build Your Reputation as a Trustworthy Leader." All oh, based on the on the research, um, it went went hundreds of thousands of worth viral. Um, Because I think people are hungry. We all want to do better, but, but no one's teaching us how. So hopefully people will do that soul searching you mentioned.
0: We will add that to the show notes. Sir, I appreciate your thoughts and guidance. Thank you.
1: Steve, a pleasure. Thanks so much for
0: having me. This has been Intangibles. You can find this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, and many other podcast platforms. You can also find it at its home on the web, which is www.intangiblespodcast.com. I'm Steve Berg. Thank you. Keep an eye out for the next episode.